Hey, Chicago Fire and Major League Soccer fans, welcome back to the Feed the Fire podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and in episode 53, we are recapping the Chicago Fire's 0-0 draw at Montreal. We are previewing the Chicago Fire's midweek match against the offensive powerhouse of the Columbus crew, and I'm going to do my absolute best not to completely break down and cry about the Chicago Fire. All this and more after this. Well, Fire fans, here we are in a familiar place talking about another draw that feels like a loss. And if you've been following along with this podcast since the beginning, one of our earlier episodes titled Draws That Feel Like Losses, I released that after the Fire played Toronto FC to a 0-0 draw. That was back on May 31st. You know, and I'm thinking, how do we not score against the team with no defense and the DPs don't even want to be there? They're fighting with the coach, all this sort of thing. And here we are again talking about a 0-0 draw for the Chicago Fire after another trip to Canada. And that is why I have called this episode for you, Draws That Feel Like Losses Part 2. Or maybe I should call it Part 2 since they're coming from Montreal. But guys, looking at this matchup, this was essentially a playoff game for the Chicago Fire. Like if they didn't start to raise their game and rate and get some better results than just, you know, close losses or these draws, they're going to start falling further and further out of that playoff picture and further and further below that playoff line. So what do they do? We again, we've talked about this the fire have talked about it. We have to play better. We have to do more. We have to create chances. But so what do they go out and do? They have another abysmal offensive performance and have to rely on teenage goalkeeper Chris Brady to bail them out. Another draw that feels like a loss. Let's get into the details here. First of all, it was a bad lineup. And a lot of the blame for this game, for this poor result, falls on the coaching staff also on the front office because I know this team has no depth. It's starters. Gosh, if you're if you're a playoff team right now, if you're like top four or five in your conference in Major League Soccer, if you're Cincinnati, if you are Orlando, if you're Seattle, LAFC, St. Louis, which one player on the Chicago Fire roster would you take to replace any one of your players on your team? I mean, maybe Chris Brady. That's all I can think of at this point. Like none of the strikers are scoring. Maybe you would take Pineda to come off the bench bench for you. Maybe you'd take Chihos if you needed some help in the back. Maybe I don't. And maybe Gutierrez. But I think a lot of these top teams, their midfields are set. I don't think that any starter on the Chicago Fire would be starting for any other club, with the exception of Chris Brady. And that's a bold statement. I'm going to stand by it, and I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Email me, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com, or hit me up on Twitter or X, uh, glass at glasshousesoccer. Direct messages are open. So, again, looking at the lineup, we know the team has no depth. We know the team has no stars. We know that the coaching staff doesn't know what to do with this roster. But I'll tell you something. You don't have to look any further back than just a couple months ago when you beat Montreal 
three nothing. But what do the fire do? They go completely away from that. Here were the differences between the two starting lineups in their matches against Montreal. Recently, you had Kamara as your starting striker for Yorgos Kutsias. And Kutsias, speaking of the, the young Greek talent, he didn't even get subbed in until the 89th minute. You're chasing three points on the road here. Like, you need these three points not only for your own playoff standing, but to keep this exact Montreal team behind you in the standings. And they don't sub in their st- a striker until the 89th minute. What are they doing over there? What is going through these coaches' heads? Assuming anything is going through their heads. But anyway, back to the lineup, right? We see Kamara get the start for Kutsius as opposed to that last game against Montreal. And again, this is shocking because it was Kutsius who had the assist as well as generating the play that led to uh, the second goal for the Chicago Fire. So the fact that he wasn't in this matchup just blows my mind. Also, you saw Fabian Herbers in for Jardin Shakiri as an attacking midfielder, and then Usman Dumbia gets Herbers' defensive midfield spot. So kind of a little double switch there from what we saw the last time they played Montreal. One thing, if you want, if you like analytics, if you really want to look at some of the, some of the advanced kind of metrics and figures and things, um, I tweeted out a link uh, or tweeted out a chart about the passing charts uh, of the Chicago Fire in this game. And if you look at Chris Brady's goal kicks, his mid to long goal kicks to his left were just about all completed passes, but his mid to kind of long range goal kicks. To his right, to Dumbia's side, none of them were completed passes. So, Dumbia is not a player, he's, he's not an MLS level player. Or whatever role he had for Lugano in Switzerland, it, it, he is not finding it here with the fire, or it is not the role the fire need. Yes, he was third in the Swiss League in tackles one, and supposedly he was a good passer as well, passing out of the back. Uh, but we have seen none of that here with the Chicago Fire. He can't hack it in MLS. And the fact that he doesn't even stand out on the Chicago Fire team is even more damning and more bad evidence against him. But anyway, we see Kamara in for Kutsius. We see Herbers and Dumbia in for Shakiri and Herbers. And we see Alonzo Aceves in for Miguel Navarro. Now, Aceves and Navarro, from a defensive standpoint, I think are a little comparable. And I think the Chicago Fire really wanted Aceves to step up. So maybe they didn't have to resign Miguel Navarro, who's probably going to want a little bit more money than he's making this year. Uh, but Aceves does not have that offense that Miguel Navarro has shown in spurts when he gets forward, um, if he gets forward. Navarro at least gives you one good cross a game. Meanwhile, Aceves was completely lacking on that. So Again, in a game where the fire needed to treat it like a playoff game when they could have really separated themselves from another team right in the middle of the pack with them, right almost equal in the standings with them, they put in their aging striker who can't go 90 and don't sub him out until the 80th, 89th minute. I'm sorry, maybe they did sub Kai out, but Kutsius doesn't come in. They don't bring in their young striker until the 89th minute. You have... Dumbia, who can't generate offense, Aceves, who can't generate offense, uh, and Herbers, who is not an offensive player, also playing an attacking mid position. So whoever came up with this starting lineup should be immediately terminated, shown the door, don't let it hit you on the butt on the way out, good night, whatever coach this was.
honestly, I really think there are people in that building. And if you want to go conspiracy theory with the league influencing, whatever, somebody wants Kai Kamara to move up into second place on the all-time scoring chart uh, past Landon Donovan, you know, and it would have been a great story, right. For him to get, get one of those goals at his former club at Montreal, where he left under not the best terms. Uh, But yeah, they definitely tried to make it happen. Despite the fact that Kamara playing for that long in that game is a detriment to the team. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that from our featured guests during our halftime break. So those are my comments about this lineup. Now, if you want to look at the statistics, because the Chicago Fire did nothing. And if you looked at some of the heat maps of the Chicago Fire passing, I think one time they actually played the ball into the opposing 18-yard box or at least had some uh, possession or some touch in Montreal's 18-yard box. They mostly had possession in their own half. They could, if you look at the passing charts, they could not figure out how to move the ball forward. A lot, a lot of lateral movement with the Chicago Fire passing. But do, but do the statistics bear that out? And in this case, I, I really think they do. Chicago only had 48% possession, 11 shots, four on goal, three. Uh, they ended up blocking three shots defensively. 400 total passes. That is a large number of passes relative to some of their other matches. And they completed about 82.5% of those passes which tends to agree with or or which does suggest that these passes are being completed in their own defensive half when there's not a lot of pressure, especially from a Montreal team. And again, the ball was in their own half, only two corners, 12 crosses, which is a little bit lower for the Chicago fire team, only three offsides. They are not getting forward. They're not trying to push that back line. You know, you want to think back to the days the last fire made the playoffs with Nemanja Nikolic winning a golden boot. That guy probably had, oh gosh, how many goals did he have? 20 some goals. He probably had 50 or 60 offsides that season as well. Not stretching the back line. Now, but that's not the way the fire want to play. They want to bring the ball up and cross it. But as we said, they're not even doing that. They're just happy to move the ball laterally. Uh, 10 tackles, one to Montreal's eight. Uh, Brady had was credited with four saves. The defense had 19 clearances. There were 12 fouls, three yellow cards, one of which Fabian Hervers for just spouting his mouth off. Again, I'll let John Donovan address that because as a former professional soccer player in Venezuela, he knows a thing or two about spouting off to a referee and how detrimental that is to your team. Because not only are you getting a yellow card and now you have to change your game, you can't be as aggressive in certain circumstances, but now the referee got a pretty bad taste in his mouth about the attitude of the Chicago Fire. And honestly, that's something that we talked about last season that came to bite them and is back again this year. At least there were no red cards. At least there were no red cards. Which, by the way, the Fire are tied for the lead in MLS with five red cards on the season. I think there's four other teams that also have five red cards. Now, if you like expected goals, apparently the Chicago Fire don't because they only had 0.4 expected goals off of their 11 shots. And from what I saw on the shooting chart, the fire didn't actually have a shot until the 44th minute of the game. And their best opportunity came from Marin Haile Selassie in first half stoppage time. And what was that percent chance of converting to score? 8% chance. Their best shooting opportunity, their best scoring opportunity only gave them an 8% chance. That is, again, some terrible offense. But here we are just repeating ourselves. I feel like a broken record. So. My impressions of this match, it was another underwhelming performance, lacked any sort of passion or desire 
from the players to actually go out and win this game. Both from Montreal and the Chicago Fire side of things, this game needed a player to step up and really take control of it, and nobody did it. So we we talked lineups, we talked stats, but like just my general impression here, nobody on that Fire team wants to actually play to win, except for Chris Brady, who was rewarded by the league by getting a team of the match day. So he was the top goalkeeper of this match day and absolutely deserved it. So he had so many like point blank saves late in that game and just commanding his box. As I mentioned before, again, kind of talking some general impressions, this was like a playoff game for all intents and purposes. And the fire treated it like a preseason warmup. Klopas, interim manager, Frank Klopas, in a post-game interview, he seemed to suggest that the, this point on the road with Montreal was acceptable, and the team had a great performance. He was quoted as saying they had a great performance, and maybe this is why they're playing with such apathy. Their interim manager is okay with their mediocrity. I mean, he has might as well have given up. He, You, you saw him after that blowout in D.C. look really frustrated and angry and upset, and you saw him almost getting to that point in the prior game that uh, against Vancouver. Now he's just talking. He's just saying coach speak. He's just giving the regular canned answers. You know, a point on the road, you know, is something, you know, when you're fighting for your playoff spots, a point on the road is acceptable. And, uh, you know, the team played really hard and it was a great performance. You know, Chris, and then he talked about Chris Brady for a little bit. Like he, he doesn't even know what to do. He doesn't even have anything new to say. So I, I'm also, I'm for managers staying positive and putting out positive vibes, but this is not positive vibes. This is just canned responses and just sheer obliviousness to what's going on within his locker room, or he just doesn't care. And and that might be the worst thing. Like if he doesn't care, you can see the players don't care. And honestly, one of the biggest things that showed me that Klopas doesn't care was back during the all-star break when it was announced that Don Garber's commission, one of his two commissioners picks was Kai Kamara to the All-Star game. And the way Klopas announced it, it was just like an afterthought, like a footnote on his on his uh, session, that he, his locker room session or his meeting session, excuse me, that he was running. Oh, and by the way, we've got some great news. Kamara's an All-Star. Nobody even clapped. Like, he didn't build it up. He didn't have anything fun planned. He And the teammates of Kai Kamara didn't even clap for him. So, that, so this sentiment has been brewing and has been part of the Chicago Fire locker room for the bulk of this season, and it's really coming to a head on this four-game goalless losing, or I should say winless streak. One other really bit of interesting news, we can we can stop talking about the Chicago Fire's failings. Some really interesting, funny, like pure Major League Soccer news came out of Montreal today, Monday the 18th. Midfielder Matko Miljevic has been terminated from Montreal. MLS has terminated his contract for engaging in conduct detrimental to the league and violating his standard player agreement. And that is the official statement for Major League Soccer. But everything we're hearing out of Montreal is that Miljevic signed up for an amateur league. I heard it might have been an indoor league. Used a fake name and then gets into a fight with another player, punches him, and as a result, it all comes out who he really is, and it gets back to the Mon- to CF Montreal, and they have to dismiss him. <laughs> now, they won't miss him much. He was more of a depth piece. 
only eight appearances this season. But here's the thing. He was signed as a U22 initiative signing in 2021. And so you can see, like, those are the spots where the clubs who are doing it right are getting their U22 initiative signings to contribute or they're building them up and selling them off. And that's where they're making some transfer fee money, right? So Montreal completely whiffed on Miljevic's signing here. He had, I think, 22 appearances last season and only a handful in his first season with Montreal. And again, only eight appearances this season so far. So it was probably best that they found a reason to get rid of him. And man, did they move quick. It wasn't even like an investigation or he's been suspended from team activities until we can find something inclusive. Nope, he was gone. He was gone. Either the evidence was so overwhelming or they really needed to get rid of him or both. So Montreal now has to look to see who they can bring in as a new U22 initiative, as a young DP player uh, to help bolster their roster. Now with that, we come to our halftime break. I want to remind everyone that Feed the Fire is sponsored by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear. Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And at halftime on the show, we always turn it over on the podcast side of things to our featured guest, John Donovan, who's got some strong thoughts on the Chicago Fires lineup and play. And on the YouTube side, we are going to just pause while we splice in that great Donovan commentary over on the podcast. So take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Nick, the non-scoring goes on. I think it's four games that the Chicago Fire do not have a goal. You know, I think you commented during the game that this is getting ridiculous trying to get Kamara that uh, second place in the scoring, and I agree. I was trying to watch the game, and about the 52nd minute, I saw Kamara just die on the field. I mean, he is not, you don't play soccer, professional soccer, for 90 minutes when you're 38, 39 years old. It just doesn't work. Um, so they they started, old Klopas started virtually the same group that he started the last game. Kamara, he put Selassie in the left side, and I just don't get it. The guy was one of the only shining stars on the field for the fire as a right wing, but he switched him over and he puts... Herbers as the right wing. Now, he did have a couple of lucky goals early on in the season, but you can see his game is getting very touchy. He got a very bizarre yellow card into the game that made no sense to me. I mean, yellow cards are when you, you're you in desperation. You got to pull somebody down, but not for your mouth. You don't hurt your team by lipping off, and that's what I think Herbers was doing. Um, Dumbia, the guy can play for a 31-year-old player. Uh, thank the Lord he's here. Federico Navarro, I don't know what's wrong with him. I know they pulled him off into 28th minute last week or last game against D.C., but he was playing horribly. Jimenez, you know, Jimenez is on the high side of the payment scale for the fire. I, I believe he's making over a million dollars a year. He's a TAM player. And you just don't hear a lot about him on the field. Um, Aceves, who is making a pretty good buck. Sijos, Pineda, and Suket were the uh, backside. And finally, Brady. And and I've got, you know, there's always something decent to say about 
somebody on the team. And Brady, it was a 0-0 game. Montreal had by far the better opportunities. But the Fire had a goalie named Brady. And this kid, 19 years old, big, commands his station well, very quick. Um, I, it's going to be hard to say this, but I think he's a better goaltender than Gaga. I don't know how they're going to keep him for next year. Um, maybe the Fire just get known as, as raising goalies. But uh, he had some exceptional stops it's not like Montreal didn't have some good shots. They really, a lot of headers. For a tall goalie, it's very tough to go down all the way to the ground and, and catch a header. And he had three or four of those. that. And right at the end of the game, there was a play that was right in front of him that he stopped. So, you know, hands off to Brady. The rest of the team, gosh, Nick, it is really tough to to say much comp or compliment anything that's happening on the fire. There are some funny parts of it. I, I got a kick out of, um, there was a stoppage in play, and uh, a couple of the, the players came over to Klopas to get words of wisdom, and who pops into the conversation, gets off the bench, and acts somewhat like a coach? Shakiri. I, I mean, if there's one guy that doesn't belong in strategy sessions, it's Shakiri. He, he just... It was such a mistake in signing him. I just can't say enough how poor his performance has been uh, to the team. I mean, you look at the starting lineup. There wasn't one DP out there. Uh, Torres is not doing well at all. I mean, at all. He's done nothing for the squad. And Shakiri were both on the bench. And between them, the uh, the club paid a transfer fee for Torres. I don't know how much. He picks up 1.4 million a year, and Shakiri picks up 8.2, and there was a five million dollar transfer fee. So, gosh, I mean, how how is it so easy to make money when you haven't played well for years? Obviously, the Torres deal. Some coach sold the fire on it. I I just I'm going to go back and look at some of those Atlas games because. He just is not, you know, you think of the, the Mexican Professional League, and I just can't feel that he's good. I mean, he, he, they, they have to get rid of a lot of players for next year. It was interesting, Nick. I think you said something to me about which five players would be kept uh, for next year, and obviously it would be Brady. I mean, he, if they can keep him, um, Pineda would be one, Gutierrez, although I don't think Gutierrez... They they talk so highly about him on the especially the Mexican um or the Spanish channels. They just praise Gutierrez. And all I see is a guy missing goals quite regularly. I mean, he he could be a good center mid. Uh unfortunately they keep throwing Shakiri in there, so he's had has a hard time to develop. But um I think he's a regular MLS player. I don't think he's a superstar. You read about Manchester United looking at him, and come on, guys. He he wouldn't get off the bench over there. He'd be loaned out faster than uh, than they could possibly get. So the first, say, 50 minutes of the game, it was all Montreal. Montreal got every 50-50 ball. They had a lot of good plays. They had a, a center forward by the name of Poco that uh, um, he gave them hell. I mean, he's a fast about five foot seven, five foot eight center forward, and I mean he's a he's a devil out there. I enjoyed watching him play a lot. In fact, 
I wondered why um, the Montreal coach held back Duke. I mean, Duke was, when he finally was put in, he was dangerous, very dangerous. Uh, he uh, reminded me of some of the American uh, um, center midfielders that the Fires have traded away for nothing. I'd love to have Duke on the Fire. But next year, I, it's going to be interesting. As I said, Pineda, Brady, um, Gutierrez, I'd like to see him keep. I'd like to see them keep Selassie. Um, and that's about it. I don't see any, or Mueller. I think those five would be players that uh, you could kind of create a team on top of. Uh, but other than that, Casper Shavilko wasn't even there. I mean, he wasn't there. Federico Navarro, I wouldn't take him back. Too many red cards. Miguel Navarro, he's not fun to watch. It's constant falling, um, taking dives. It just... The fire are a mess, Nick. Um, it. I hope that Joe Monsueto cleans house on this squad and maybe goes out to Cincinnati or Seattle or Philadelphia and picks up their assistant GMs because we need somebody with a history in the MLS of winning. We need a coach that respects American players. That's very important. Um, I'd love to see them pick up the Orlando coach. He's out of contract. The guy's a winner. It, um, you know, what do we have? Seven more games to go. And the way they're going, Nick, there, there is about as much chance me jumping over the moon as, as the fire making the playoffs, which would make it what? One out of 14 years. And that one year McGee came out because of his child and had an all-star season and he got them into the playoffs. Other than that, it's been constant clopas and we have lost over 14 years of games. So, Let's hope that Mansueto either sells the team or cleans house again. All right, Nick? Hope everybody's well. Say hi to Mike. Oh, I forgot. This, the score was 0-0. Zero, zero. Real, real wonderful game, huh? Take care. Well, John, thank you so much for always supporting our show, for giving your analysis, for giving your takes, and just for letting us know how you do really feel about the Chicago Fire. Um, John also and I had a conversation off where kind of talking about uh, Bruce Arena and the situation with the New England Revolution and everything that has gone on there. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit in our last episode, and I think that story has been really well covered uh, by kind of mainstream MLS media, as well as a lot of the secondary MLS media, fan accounts, uh, bloggers, things of that nature. And essentially Bruce Arena was dismissed after making, or he wasn't dismissed. He was being investigated. He was suspended. And then he resigned uh, after being accused of saying uh, detrimental and harmful and insulting things. I forget the exact phrase that major league soccer used. Um, but then as a result of it, his assistant coach who had made the complaint uh, was promoted to interim manager. Two other assistants walked out. The players refused to hold the training session until they got some more clarity of what exactly was going on. And I think my whole point was the MLS needs to do a little better job communicating these circumstances because they're just, they just said, we're investigating him for things he said. He's been suspended. He's now resigned. The coaching staff's walked out and the players are refusing to train. What's going on? What was he actually said? What exactly are your responsibilities to the league when you're uh, and your obligations to the league when you're a coach, when you're a staffer, when you're a player? You know, we saw with uh, Milkovich here how he violated 
standards of the league by going and playing for an amateur league. Now that that's pretty, I think I'd say common knowledge or, or pretty reasonable to expect. Yeah. Don't go play for another team, but what exactly do they mean by these things? We don't, we hardly have any examples of it. And when we had prior examples of players using racial racist language, all it was, was they used language against the policies of the league or use it was alleged to have used um you know derogatory statements again there's no examples of it given and i get maybe you don't want to repeat specific things but the league needs to do a better job laying these things out and saying this is acceptable this is not acceptable this is what bruce arena was alleged to have said this is what our investigation found and and as an attorney i get those investigations saying there's credible evidence but we could not be substantiated i can appreciate the league coming to such conclusions like that um but in this case with uh miljevic in bruce arena's case i'd like to know a little bit more about exactly what provisions the league is saying they violated what actually was said and done and have a little bit more transparency i'd like it as a fan and obviously the revs players would have liked to hear about it as members of that organization, because then they came out and lost to the worst team in the league, the Colorado Rapids. So clearly that was on their minds. Now we are going to turn our attention for the second half of this show, previewing the Chicago Fire's next match, a Wednesday night midweek matchup, September 20th, 6.30 p.m. kick at Lord.com Field in Columbus, facing off against the offensive juggernaut of the Columbus crew. And what do I mean when I say offensive juggernaut? They lead the league in goals scored with 57. Now St. Louis and Seattle have 56. Philly is the fourth highest scoring team with 49 goals. 48 of their goals have come inside the 18-yard box. They are moving the ball forward. They are getting good crosses in. They are finding overloads. They are getting into dangerous areas. They are doing everything that the fire aren't when it comes to having good offense. So again, 57 goals on the season, 48 inside the 18. I don't even think a stellar Chris Brady performance is going to save Chicago from this one. The dynamic for Columbus has changed a little bit with Zella Ryan's departure, but again, the rest of the team has picked it up. They still have their main principles. And while Zella Ryan did play a lot more direct and up the middle, they bring in Julian Gressel to kind of uh, to provide some wing play as well. The Columbus is still creating chances. When you, when you have 57 goals at this point in the season, you're creating chances any way you want to. You're not just becoming one dimensional. Additionally, the crew leads the league with 65 assists. And if you have 65 assists on 57 goals, yes, MLS is counting double assists here. Or secondary assists, I should say. And this isn't close. Orlando is the next best team with 53 assists. And Atlanta is third with 52. So uh, it's great to see the Eastern Conference atop those three. That, that Those three teams are all in the East atop the assist category. But still, it is Columbus leading the way by far, really creating it. And their best player by far, Cucho Hernandez, who's already got a double-double on the season, 10 goals and 11 assists. So he, the offense all runs through him at some point. And if the fire can shut him down, maybe they'll have a chance against Columbus if Brady can stand on his head again. But we have seen the fire struggle against the better teams and their better players. We saw Christian Benteke pick apart the Chicago Fire's defense when DC was in town. We saw uh, Facundo Torres pick apart the Chicago Fire defense 
when Orlando was in town. We saw what Gauld and White did for Vancouver, just running right down the throat of the Chicago Fire midfield and defense. And Montreal maybe didn't do it because their strikers aren't on that level of playoff MLS teams. Again, as Chicago Fire fans, we know how good or not good Shinoso Ofor is. Uh, but Opoku had a number of opportunities in this game to win it for Montreal, uh, but just couldn't find the back of the net. So I I am worried that the Chicago Fire, I'm worried. I'm expecting the Chicago Fire to not be able to handle Cucho Hernandez. Also on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Aiden Morris's 52 tackles is tied for second in MLS. So the crew, not exactly known lately for their defense. They do have they do have some defensive acuity here. Now, before we get into the odds and predictions, here's a little trivia just to set the tone for this Columbus match, courtesy of MLSsoccer.com. Columbus is unbeaten in 13 straight regular season home matches against the Fire. Nine wins and four draws. The longest home unbeaten run against any team in Columbus's MLS history. The last time Chicago won in Columbus was a 2-1 to victory a decade ago in June 2013. Yikes. Also, Chicago has gone four straight regular season matches without a goal for the fourth time since October 2021. So, in a two-year span, the Chicago Fire have gone without a goal for four games four times. Wow. There is no offense in this city. The Fire have never gone five straight league matches without scoring in their MLS history. So, I don't know. How do you want to look at that one, Fire fans? Do you think so we're due for a goal we're going to score? Or, nope, we're going to set some more negative history here and have our first ever five-match scoreless streak. A little bit of positive trivia here. Brian Gutierrez was involved in more than half of Chicago's 11 shots. Three shots, three chances created against Montreal on Saturday. Gutierrez is the only Fire player with at least 30 shots and 30 chances created this season. He's got 37 shots and 32 chances created. And I have criticized Brian Gutierrez for not shooting the ball enough and for, for not having the courage and not having maybe the confidence to have a rip from, you know, 20, 25 yards out, or instead of laying it off when he's within the 18 to really try and take a defender one-on-one and get a shot off. I still believe that, and I still think that's very true, and I just think this is another data point that is just damning of the Chicago Fire's offensive capabilities, that the guy that I am saying needs to do more and shoot more and create more is shooting the most and creating the most on the Chicago Fire team. Odds and predictions. What are the betting odds for this match? Well, according to FanDuel, and again, this is as of Monday the 18th, the crew are heavy favorites. They're at minus 185. Meanwhile, the Chicago Fire, I I can't, I don't think I've seen odds this bad since like LAFC was on that, on their record setting point season. And they were playing like a, a just an atrocious San Jose team or, or some like bottom feeding team. The Chicago Fire are at plus 420. This is one of the worst odds that I've ever seen. Uh, the draw is even that bad there it's at plus 340 so essentially it's just how much according to the betting lines how many goals are the crew going to win by that's essentially what you're looking at in this match and as for my pick i have seen nothing to make me think that the fire can play well 
And also, there's a little bit of that extra motivating factor here. The Chicago, the, the Columbus crew were up 3-1 to one against Orlando City, this la- their last match, going into the 70th minute, and they ended up losing 4-3. Uh, they gave up two goals in the last 10 minutes to go from 3-2 to two to 4-3, right? And, and again, three goals in the last 20 minutes plus stoppage time. So it was not a a solid performance from the crew, not being able to see this goal out. And as uh, one of our crew fans and supporters of this show, uh, Connor No Soccer said, like, the crew are going to be out for blood. They're going to want to erase that loss to Orlando. They're going to want some redemption against the Chicago Fire team. That being the case, where I see this game possibly being competitive is if the Fire can come out and steal a quick goal, and if the crew have rotated their squad a little bit to rest their starters, you know, I, I don't want to say underestimating the fire because I don't know if you can underestimate the fire right now, uh, but underestimate the fire, rotate their squad a little bit, sit back and say, man, we're really not too worried about this game. And the fire can get a one or one or two goals in the first half and then really scrap it out in the second half. I think that's the only scenario where the fire come away with with a at least a point in this one. However, I think it's an extremely unlikely scenario given everything we've talked about and given how good the crew are. And I am picking the crew to win this one 3 nothing. Sorry fire fans. I make picks with my head, I cheer with my heart, and right now I'm making a pick. And of course, come kickoff, I'm going to be saying let's go fire, vamos fire, let's go pame fire. But we'll see what actually bears out. Now, just to close on a personal note, I have mentioned that I have picking up the coaching mantle, that I am leading my son's second grade U8 team every weekend on the pitch. We picked up our first win of the season. We now are one win and one draw. We had a great 6-1 victory. The kids played their hearts out. I love to see it. I want to talk up my son a little bit here. He may be the center mid of the future, I, I think. This is where I think. We, we worked on two-touch passing on practice practice where it's one touch to trap one touch to pass move the ball quickly especially in their age group when there is a lot of herd ball because they're just packing together and you're just kicking away at brick walls essentially and that's exactly what he was doing he was getting the ball and trying to play it through to his striker or play it out wide to his his winger two touch passing i loved it he was all over the field he in, in a good way he's making recovery runs he's supporting his striker he was all over i think he might have a, a career as as a as a midfielder here, maybe a bit of a D mid, but he wants to still score some goals, but you know, he's eight. I get it. Um, and honestly, if anyone out there is familiar with the Chicago fire discovery camps, this new thing that, that they're promoting where you can get U uh, eight and U 10 kids, it's kind of like an informal tryout for the Academy system. Just kind of get noticed by some people in the Chicago fire organization. If anyone out there has participated in these or if anyone out there has, has an inside scoop on it or knows someone who works there, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to kind of share a little bit more of that information and present more youth in the Chicago area with opportunities to get noticed by the club. So please reach out to me, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com or on Twitter at glasshousesoccer. And with that, I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. Follow on Spotify, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts subscribe and like on YouTube. And as always, let's go fire.